Well, on your way from Psalm 119 to Isaiah, I want you to take a rest stop with me in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter uh, chapter 5, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, one of the things we get to see in the book of Isaiah, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, come to our... our uh, the conclusion of the first major section of the book. Uh, the book is divided between chapters 1 to 39 and then chapter 40 to 66. So we're going to conclude chapter 39 today, and, and that brings us to our uh, conclusion of the first half. One of the things that you see in a book like Isaiah is uh, what God is doing, not just in the particular characters at the particular time in history, but we get an idea of what his will is that extends beyond uh, just the book itself. And uh, as you're going to see, the, the chapter 39 kind of ends on a odd note. And if you've been reading ahead or you've been following along, uh, you know what I mean. We, we, we come to this and um, it, it just kind of leaves you with a question mark. You, you know, there are books in the Bible that end and you go, what? Really? That's how it ends? I mean, think of Jonah for a minute. I mean, good old Jonah, right? You guys know the book of Jonah, you know, the the, the uh, wrong way prophet, or I don't know what the, the, the movie line would be if we made a film about him, right? And uh, you know the story, and, uh, you know, he gets upset because God shows mercy to his enemies, the Ninevites, and uh, he goes out and, and has a adult pity party. We like to think as adults that we're, we're above, we've grown out of pity parties, but we don't. Uh, we, we struggle with those sometimes too. So he goes out and he's sulking and God in this really, really weird situation, he finds this tree, this shade tree and he's, you know, he's in the desert. So, you know, finding a little bit of shade is, is life, right? And then God sends this divinely appointed worm. It's like, what is this all about? And somehow attacks the root system of this one shade tree so that it withers and dies. And then Jonah gets all upset and uh, and God says, why are you upset? You're more upset over the loss of this tree and shade than you were about these thousands of people that needed to repent and did repent. The end. And you go, what? How did Jonah respond? Or think of uh, think of Ruth, the book of Ruth, right? You know the story of Ruth and Naomi and, and her two daughters-in-law and they come back and and she loses her husband, she loses her two sons, and, and um, you know, right, the whole book, and, and you get back, and, and at the beginning of the book, Naomi, you know, the, the ladies in the city, as she comes back to the nation, see her, and they say, is this Naomi? Can this be her? And she says, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me bitter, Mara, right? Because God has been hard on me. He's been, he's been, um, he's made my life difficult. And then there's this whole story, right? And and you know you know the story in Boaz and Ruth and the kinsman redeemer and all that. And then they're going to be the in the line of the Messiah, right? Because David's going to come from their family. And uh, the ladies show up and they see Naomi and and uh, the end. And you go, really? How did Naomi? What did Naomi think about all this, right? Did, did she did she come back to say yes? The Lord has been kind to me. My my, my feelings have lied to me. Because I now see what God's doing. Or did she never see that? 
There's stories in the Bible that have, and, and this, this is going to do that, right? We're going to get to 39, you're going to read it, and you're going to go, really? And Chronicles doesn't help us, and Kings doesn't help us. But we're going to prepare the way for how the book ends in Proverbs chapter 6, if you're there. Um, Solomon, the, the wisest man that ever lived, God gave him a special gift of wisdom. And um, so we see divinely inspired, God-breathed wisdom in chapter 6. Well, the whole book we do, but particularly chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. And then he says, oh yeah, I forgot one. There's actually seven which are an abomination to him. Okay, you ready? Haughty eyes. What's that? It's pride, isn't it? It's amazing how many times the Bible talks about the, the sins, the vices that we can fall into, and pride is often the center point of the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Why does pride come first? Why is pride so bad? It's the root, isn't it? Yeah. Pride is considered by many the the most significant sin or the root sin because pride at its core seeks to dethrone God. And say that we actually stand above him in some way rather than us coming under his rule. Uh, pride is so dangerous that God actually says in the Bible a couple of times, God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I mean, I mean you think, about, what could I do that would make God opposed to me? Like, like what could I accomplished that would make God an enemy rather than a friend? Well, the Bible tells us, just be proud. And on the other hand, if you're the sort of person that wants the grace of God in your life, God says, well, there's a, there's a way. There, there is a divine spigot of grace that you can turn on and just get poured on. I mean, just just flowing grace into your life. And, and what does the Bible say that is? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I've, I've wondered many times in my life if, if it seems like... I know God's grace is sufficient, right? We know that. We're in Sunday school, right? We know that. But it doesn't feel like God's grace is sufficient. It doesn't seem like God's grace is sufficient, whatever my need is. One of the things I've learned to ask myself is, is there pride in my heart? Because the reality may be, it's not that God's grace is not sufficient in that moment, it's that God is withholding it because of my proud disposition. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to turn now to the book of Isaiah and we're going to land the plane here in terms of the first section. And we're going to come back to talk about Hezekiah. And you'll remember this uh, if you want to grab your outline there. Um, Isaiah takes place, the book of Isaiah takes place during the ministry of four different kings of Judah. Uzziah, 
Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the overlap is because there were some co-reigning going on between dad and son as the power was transitioned from the father to the son in terms of the kingly role. And so we're in the last section here of Isaiah, the very last uh, king in terms of the historical perspective. And uh, just to remind you that the book of Isaiah is a prophecy that takes place during the historical events described in 2 Kings 14 to 20 and 2 Chronicles 26 32. So when you're doing your Bible reading plan this year, when you get to 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you're like, man, what is this all about? Just remember, these are the historical events behind the book of Isaiah. And uh, Or if you're reading Isaiah and you're going, who's Ahaz and who's Hezekiah? Well, that's where you go in your Bible to learn a little bit more about them. And so you have to kind of walk and chew gum at the same time when you read the prophets because there's a historical line in the Bible and there's, there's a prophetic line and they're designed to be listened to in stereo. You, you gotta, you gotta hold both of those together to get the big idea of what's going on. Okay? So what happens between Ahaz and Hezekiah? You remember Ahaz, he's making treaties with, with enemies, he is, um, worshiping, uh, false gods, he is promoting idolatry in the nation. Uh, Isaiah has spent a lot of his ministry calling him back to trust the Lord, and uh, and he dies and and crashes and burns in terms of his ministry. He, he's counted amongst the kings in the chronicler uh, as one who did not do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So he dies, and his son Hezekiah comes to power, and Hezekiah is like a breath of fresh air in the book of Isaiah. He is he is a a cool stream of water to drink in the desert, which is the second Kings and the second Chronicles, as you read about all these kings that did not do what is right. What does he do? Second Chronicles 29, he goes back and he recommissions the Levites. He makes them go through all the uh, cleansing ceremonies and rituals designed to prepare them for worship. He prepares the temple. Remember, he goes, um, his... Uh, his father had erected a pagan deity in the temple. He tears that down. He, he sends out notice in the land, go find every altar, every false god, every statue, and tear them down. This is like an incredible renovation of the nation under Mr. Hezekiah. In Second Chronicles 30, he reinitiates Passover. Well, that was huge, right? How often were the nations supposed to celebrate Passover? Yeah, every year, right? And, and and that was a very significant holiday because it signified what? What did Passover signify? Do you remember? Okay, when the angel of death passed over? That's right. In, in what, what historic event? Do you remember? The Exodus, that's right. That's right. So that reminded them in an annual way of God's kind deliverance, right? That God cared about his people, that he... He led them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, right? The scripture tells us. And so every year they were to do this Passover meal to remind them of God's grace and kindness and faithfulness to his promises in that great event. So he reinitiates that. Second uh, Chronicles 31, that's a great chapter to go read. You want to read, read a fun chapter with your kids tonight? You know, we, we call it the shock and awe, the, the kill people and break things chapter, right? We're going to go through, we're going to smash idols and tear down the altars, and, and uh, it, it's, it's the bulldozing chapter of the, of the book there. And then the bottom line, as we saw, Second Chronicles 31, 20 to 21, it says that Hezekiah was careful to do everything that the Lord had commanded to do. Now, you're reading Isaiah, I'm reading Isaiah, and we're like, 
Yes, finally, this is, this is the guy. And if you're reading Isaiah carefully, one of the questions that you might think about is, is this the servant? Right? You've had, you've all these bad kings, and here's a guy who trusts the Lord, who walks with the Lord, he destroys the idols, he reforms the place, he kicks out the, the idols of the temple, reinstitutes Passover. And, and, and one of the questions is, maybe this is the promised king. Maybe this is the one. Have you had that thought? As you're reading through Isaiah, when you get to this, that's what you're supposed to think. We've been talking about this promised rescuer, this promised coming king, the promised servant. Maybe this is him, right? He certainly looks good compared to the other guys. Let's find out. Let's find out. Okay, so chapter 36, if you're in Isaiah, chapter 36, Sennacherib, the Assyrian ruler, invades. And uh, you remember he comes and he takes all the fortified cities. He's taken all the cities in Judah except what? Jerusalem, right? And his army is outside. He sends uh, his army general up to the wall and they have this conversation. Hey, what are you thinking? What is Hezekiah thinking? How does he think that that he is going to stand against the great Sennacherib, the great king? Remember the title, the great king. Hezekiah has lost his mind. Now he's talking He's talking to a group of leaders on the walls of Jerusalem. And remember, uh, the, the leaders are like, um, <clears throat> can you talk in a foreign language? We don't want the people to hear. And you remember what they did? He shouted even louder, the text tells us, in the language of the Judeans. Hezekiah is out of his mind. Turn to the king of Assyria and live, right? Undermining his ministry. Well, this happens in 701 B.C. We have uh, artwork. You've seen this before. Those of you who haven't been here, uh, Sennacherib, uh, archaeologists have actually discovered more about Sennacherib and his rule in the Assyrian Empire in, uh, in the 700s here than, than most other ancient rulers. And so they've got, uh, uh, like a lot of rulers, uh, he, he, um, th- this, was, this was what they did before they had selfies, right? <laughs> You just carve a picture of yourself on your wall in your temple or in your, your palace, right? So, you know, uh, Mr. Snackrib did not have an iPhone or an Android device, so that's what you did, right? You got the, the guys to come in, the artists of the kingdom, and you, you uh, carved uh, images of yourself, okay? So you, you see that just because we have selfie technology, people have always been self-centered, right? It's just that that's the way, the old way they did it. Nowadays we go, right? And that's what we do. So here he is coming in on his chariot there with his army. And uh, so he invades, right? And what does Hezekiah do? We saw this last time. He, he runs in chapter 37. He tears his clothes. He covers himself with sackcloth. He enters the house of the Lord. That's the temple. And, uh, and he prays, right? And we see his prayer in verse 14. It says, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. 
Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand. Why? That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God. And God sends Hezekiah, or God sends Isaiah, excuse me, to Hezekiah. To answer him, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib's king of Assyria, this is the word of the Lord that has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed and against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes? Mr. Sennacherib, you have done this against the Holy One of Israel. And nobody does that and gets away with it. If you have ever thought, what does God really think about his own reputation and his own name, his own glory? <laughs> Watch this. This is. What's Isaiah's conclusion? Verse 33 of chapter 37. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to the city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege against uh, a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return, and he will not come to this city. It's interesting. I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, because we have all this history of Sennacherib, they actually have an account of Sennacherib's army uh, and, and military uh, work. And he talks about coming to Jerusalem. And he talks about, uh, you know, bragging about, oh, I took all the cities and I, I took Jerusalem and I, I, uh, he's got this line. Sennacherib actually says this in his, his, uh, his annals. He says, um, I surrounded the city and I caged up Hezekiah like a caged bird. Well, we'll see. Uh, Hezekiah was a bit of a revisionist historian. Actually, it was probably people that came after him that wrote this. Here's what actually happened. Verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. Wow. God's version of a nuclear drone strike right here. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. Can you imagine? You're Sennacherib and you're going, what just happened? And he goes home, probably a bit disillusioned. What happened? Confused. He goes into the temple of one of his gods. And while he's there, worshiping, offering sacrifices, two of his own sons come in and murder him. The end. Because you do not mock the name of the living God and get away with it. If we zoom out for a minute, what, what, is, what is God doing in the world today? What was, a, what was Israel supposed to testify of? The glory of his great name. His person, his character, his works. That's what Israel was supposed to do. What's the church supposed to do today? Why are we here? We're spreading the glory of his great name that men and women can be reconciled to him and know this God whose name is great. 
who is unequaled amongst the gods, right? That, that's, that's why we're here. And, and so I want you to see this one little story is just one more way that the Bible says, this is our God, this is his great name, this is his character, and why we're here is to spread the fame of that name. And God puts an exclamation mark on the end of this story to make the point. That's who he is. Okay? So we say, great, God answers, he cleans house, he delivers. Um, it's interesting what Roger, Roger remind us that the Passover was about the angel of the Lord going through the camp of the Egyptians back in the days of Moses and killing every firstborn. Well, guess who gets dispatched here? The same guy. The angel of the Lord. And, um, and he cleans house. Okay, back to the story. Now, we saw this last time, and we have to get kind of a running start as we come to the conclusion of this little narrative, is a, a missing verse in Second Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32, that's the historic account, one of the historic uh, uh, narratives behind what we're reading about in Isaiah. Here's the missing verse. After all this happens, right, Hezekiah prays, God delivers, Sennacherib goes home with his tail between his legs, and then his sons kill him. The, the, this tiny little blip of a city thwarted the superpower ruler of the known universe. I mean, so what's going to happen? You, you think... Uh, today, I mean, CNN and Fox News and all, they'd all be descending on Jerusalem. Mr. Hezekiah, Mr. Hezekiah, please, please, can we get an interview? We want to hear what happened about the thing, right? Will you tell us about this great, that's what happens. Of course, in this day, they they didn't have CNN. So kings around the world would send their, their diplomats, right? And in some cases, kings actually traveled to them and they wanted to hear the story. Tell us, Mr. Hezekiah, we want to hear about what happened. Verse 23, and many were bringing gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and choice presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations thereafter. Now, if you heard that this nobody king had just thwarted the emperor of the greatest you know, ruler nation, uh, you'd want to be on his side too, wouldn't you? So that's what they're doing. They're sending him presents. They're, they're trying to have a, yeah, hey, you know, I'm king so-and-so from the country across the, right? And they're, they're trying to make sure they're on this guy's good side, right? Wouldn't you? And as he receives the gifts, as he uh, meets diplomats, other kings of far greater nations than he, he was exalted in the sight of all the nations And as we're going to find out, he was exalted in his own eyes. David Gibson reminded me that many years ago he did a message on Hezekiah called The Dangers of Spiritual Success. I remember as a brand new Christian, one of the first sermons I ever heard as as a Christian. um, Actually, I wasn't even a Christian. I take that back. This is high school. But I'll never forget it. It was, it was Bible exposition. I'd never heard exposition before. I'd never heard the Bible taught, so I went, oh, wow, this has something for me in it, not just some guy talking. Talking about Nehemiah, and, and the pastor said this, um, 
for every hundred leaders that can handle failure, only one can handle success. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? There are six things that the Lord hates, just seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Hezekiah begins in his own mind to wrestle with pride and the exaltation of himself. In, chapter, in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1, In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you how I have walked before you in truth with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So this is Isaiah 38, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. And then he took, remember we saw last time the sign, right? Where he makes the shadow on the sundial. Actually, it was a stairway that they used as a timing mechanism. He made the shadow go backward. So it's like, it would be like this. It would be like looking at the clock above your mantle and watching it go backwards. And you'd be like, that's kind of weird. But God did that to demonstrate that he was going to do what he was going to do. Okay. We saw Hezekiah's writing last time, right? We saw his um, his response where he recollects that. And that brings us to the last chapter, which is chapter 39. Okay? Chapter 39. So here we are. What is going to happen? Well, Second Chronicles tells us... You stay, in, stay in Isaiah 39, okay? Because I'm just going gonna, gonna to set the table here. You stay in 39. Hezekiah, in 2 Chronicles 32, the Bible tells us this. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign, right? We saw that. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received. Why? Because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came on him and on Judah and on Jerusalem. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. Now listen to this. Hezekiah had immense riches and honor. He made for himself treasuries for silver, gold, and precious stones, and spices, and shields, and all kinds of valuable articles, storehouses, uh, also for the produce of grain and wine and oil, pens for all kinds of cattle, sheepfolds for flocks. He made cities for himself. He acquired flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great wealth. It was Hezekiah who stopped the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them to the west side of the city. What's that called? When, when archaeologists excavated that, it's called Hezekiah's tunnel, right? Underground uh, water system to direct water into the city so that they could have fresh water while the city was in full military mode and, and the walls were up and the gates were shut. Even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon who sent to him to inquire of the wonder that had happened in the land, God left him alone only to test him that he might know 
what was in his heart. Okay, so we see this. There's Hezekiah's tunnel. We talked about we talked about that last time. Those of you who saw that. But this is really interesting. The text tells us in Second Chronicles 32, great victory. Great fame around the world. People are coming to see him. They want to hear the story. They want to see that. He's grown very rich. He's building cities. Remember, all the, all the fortified cities were destroyed, right, by, by uh, Sennacherib. So he's starting to rebuild those cities. He's acquiring riches and places and honor and stuff. People are coming. And God said, okay, let's see what's in your heart. Okay, Isaiah 39, here we go. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon. Now, what's the significance of that? What's the, what's the significance of Babylon? What's going on historically right now? Yes. Yeah. So, so look at this. You've got this great Assyrian empire. Now you've had this incredible, incredible defeat of the most powerful ruler, Sennacherib, right? Word is beginning to spread. His sons kill him. And we go, what's going to happen with this great Assyrian empire? And it begins to crumble. Well, guess who's waiting in the, in the wings to take over? The nation of Babylon. So these rulers come under the guise of seeing Mr. Hezekiah's riches and hearing the story, what do you think they're really doing? They're checking out the city. Right? This is the same nation that just a few generations down the road will destroy Babylon, or will destroy Jerusalem. Right? So they sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and recovered. Verse 2, Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and his whole armory <laughs> and his whole armory. And all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his domain dominion that Hezekiah did not show them that was a, a strategic error, by the way, militarily speaking. But you know what? We do that, right? When we're caught up in pride. You ever notice this? We don't make good decisions out of pride, do we? When you're focused on yourself, you're not thinking about God or neighbor, are you? It's going to be hard to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself if you're focused on me. So there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. And then Isaiah the prophet came to the king, Hezekiah, and said to him, What did these men say and from where have they come to you? Now Isaiah is being respectful to the king, but what's he getting at? What's that? He's trying to expose his heart. Okay, so maybe Isaiah is asking a sort of general question to kind of see what comes out of his heart. Okay, I agree with that. What else is he doing? What's that? 
<laughs> yes. What's Hezekiah saying? He's saying, in a nice way, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> Who are these guys? How did they come to you? Right? What are you doing? And Hezekiah said, well, they've come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? (laughs) So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. It is amazing how many godly people in both the Bible and in church history start off really well. They walk with God in their humble beginnings, right? They trust God in the afflictions and difficulties of life. God blesses their life. They grow in success, spiritually speaking. And they crash and burn at the end of their life. Talk to me a minute. Who in the Bible did that? Started well, didn't end so well. Solomon. Moses. King Saul. Samson. David. Judas. I mean, think about that. He was one of 12 people that got to hang out with Jesus and know him intimately. Right? If that's true of men and women like that, how much more careful do we need to be in prosperous 2020 Granbury, Texas, Grace Bible Church? Right? We have health. We have stuff. We have comforts. We have a great church. We've got friends, right? It would be really, really easy to become proud about those things, wouldn't it? And Hezekiah, in a very respectful, Isaiah, to Hezekiah, in a very respectful way, says, "What on earth are you doing?" Is Hezekiah the promised servant? Is he the king, the the promised king that Isaiah said is going to come and rescue his people? Is that going to be him? Apparently not. And so this section that was so great and so hopeful and yes, and we destroyed the idols and the bad guy dies and it ends on this bittersweet note as Isaiah has to give one more prophecy to Mr. Hezekiah. Look at this. Verse 5. Then then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You should know that. Hear the word of who? Say it. What does that mean? It's not hear the word of the Lord. Whenever you see that phrase, something should click in your mind. Lord of hosts. That's God in BDUs, right? This is God in his military attire. This is God 
not coming to have coffee with you. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, this is the wing commander. That's right. This is, this is the three-star general walking into the room. Actually, it's the commander-in-chief, really. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says Yahweh. And some of your sons, whom you will who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, is that what you wanted to hear? It's supposed to be, and he restores all things, and the nation repents, and they live happily ever after. And instead, Isaiah has to bring this prophecy against Hezekiah that says, let me tell you how your life's going to end. Let me tell you how your ministry's going to end. Let me tell you your legacy. These folks that you were just you know, given the nickel tour of everything here, all your stuff that you showed them, they're going to own it. And some of your very sons are going to be captives and taken off in the Babylon. Jerusalem will have nothing left. They will be taken back and they will be serving, quote unquote, as slaves in the court of the kings of Babylon. Wow. What a sobering, sobering ending to this section. Is he the servant? No, he's not the servant. Did he have a a good streak? Yes, he did. But in the end, his heart became proud, didn't it? Now, Chronicles tells us that he humbled himself, at least at that moment. But here's the last, I'm going to show you the last thing we hear, the last thing we have recorded that Hezekiah says. Okay, you ready? Here it is. So Hezekiah is going to respond to this, right? Everything you just showed them, They're going to take it all back to Babylon. Nothing will be left. Some of your sons will be taken away. They will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Verse 8, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. And we go, What? Is that how, is, is that, was that your response when you read that? Oh, by the way, your boys are going to get carried off as slaves. All this kingdom, all this Wealth that God has blessed you with, gone, taken to a foreign nation. If you hear that, do you go, oh, wow, that's really great news. Do you read that and go, what is he thinking? Well, he tells us what he's thinking. Actually, this is interesting. This is where you're thankful the Holy Spirit inspires the text. You guys understand the narrator in the Bible speaks God's voice, right? Do you know that? So you're reading a story and the narrator jumps in, that is the voice of God telling you how you're supposed to think about the story. So we ought to pay attention to that. So, so watch this. The narrator, who's probably Isaiah himself, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. And then Isaiah tells us what he was thinking. Look at this. For he thought, at least there'll be peace and truth in my days. The end, roll credits. 
God is opposed to the proud, isn't he? But he gives grace to the humble. That's how the book ends. That's how the first section of the book ends. With this, oh no, right? I mean, you're, just, you're, you're so ready for a great, and it just breaks your heart. And that's the, guys, that's the point. That's the, uh, two, two points, okay? Number one, Hezekiah is not the Messiah. We will need someone who is more than human to rescue the plight of sinful humanity. It's going to have to be something that God does, right? Are you convinced of that? That's what we're supposed to see. It's not going to be Him. And the second thing we're supposed to walk away with is this. Pride is incredibly dangerous and destructive. And we should take heed to ourselves lest there be in our hearts the seeds, the blossom, the fruit of this sort of disposition that in our prosperity and in our blessing, that instead of that moving us toward God in humility and thankfulness, it turns us away from God in pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency. And I think, I think that's something we all need to hear today. Now we roll the credits, right? That's, that's the end of the first major section of the book. What have we seen? The book of Isaiah is a record of the prophet Isaiah's ministry to Judah, the southern kingdom, warning them of future judgment if they do not repent, but promising them a future hope and kingdom that will come when the servant is revealed. And guess what? He's not here yet. Do you see? Even the best of the best have feet of clay, don't they? So we, we come to this part and we say, I'm kind of I'm kind of depressed. I'm kind of discouraged. Can I give you a preview? Flip the page. Look at chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, oh comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand Double for all their sins. And that gives us encouragement. We don't, we don't close the book and walk away and say, well, that was, that was nice. Because the book's not over. There is hope. There is comfort coming. And that's why chapter 40 launches out of the starting block with comfort. Because we end 39 going, good night. But there's comfort. Because God hasn't forgot His promises that there's a remnant, that his servant is coming, and his servant will be the one to fix this mess that we've seen, right? And rescue us from the pride of our own hearts. And, and here's the great part, we are going to learn, and I'm, I'm totally not overstating this, we are going to learn more about this servant in Isaiah chapter 40 through 66 than probably in any other Old Testament book. And we get to do it together. Isn't that cool? All right. So put a comma in your notes there, and we'll come back uh, next time, and we'll start chapter 40. Father, thank you for uh, this sobering and yet hopeful section of Scripture. 
Father, we confess uh, that often in our prosperity we get a big head and we forget you and we get caught up in the gifts that you give us and we often forget the giver. Lord, humble us as we read about men like Hezekiah and David and Solomon and Saul and Moses, Judas, men that started well, and yet our hope cannot be in men, even good men. Uh, Thank you that you've provided a Savior, a divine rescuer who can do what no human being can do, and that is to rescue us from this dangerous situation, these prideful hearts that we have. And Lord, thank you for the hope of this book, that the servant is coming, that his kingdom is coming, that you have not abandoned your promises, but you're acting even now to fulfill them. And uh, we're eager to see that even as the first part of this book has ended on a minor key, uh, that there will be great rejoicing and great hope and great encouragement as we look at the second half of the book, as we realize the servant and your coming plan of salvation. Lord, we're grateful. Will you humble us that, that we have been recipients of such grace in Christ? Guard our hearts from pride. Help us to to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, that we would have broken and contrite hearts that are fully dependent on the Savior. Uh, Lord, even today, as, as you might bring to mind particular areas of pride and arrogance that maybe we've been wrestling with uh, recently, will you make those occasions for repentance and confession, knowing that you're a forgiving and merciful God, And we might uh, humbly ask for your grace. Lord, thank you uh, for the message of this book. Thank you for our time this morning. Will you help us to live differently as a result of how we've lived, or as what we've read. In Jesus' name, amen.